Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Catch Up with Jason Andy. Uh, Jace Ferguson here, coming at you from Macau. Uh, lovely weather we're having right now. It is turning into our winter season, where things are are cool, twenty degrees Celsius. As a Canadian myself, I find that's quite hilarious because that's not cold uh, compared to Canadian standards. But enough about the weather. Let's actually get to business, what we're going to talk about today. And now I'm going to pass things over to my good pal, Andy Hare, who's down in Australia. But in this conversation, we're going to be looking at activity design and how we can start from something so simple where it can grow and evolve to something that's meaningful, that can actually make a connection with your students, not only in the moment, but also in that ability to keep them active and healthy for life. Super excited about this because I know my man, Andy, he's very creative looking at, he can take anything and turn it into a fun, energetic, zany, wacky game that kids will love. Not only just kids, but adults as well. So super excited about this one. It's going to get creative. It's going to get zany. And I absolutely love those two things. Andy, how are things going down south? Um, it's, it's turning into summer down there right now. I see some people are jumping in the pools down in Australia, but how are things going, my man? Jace Ferguson. Going well, my friend. Uh, yes, it is summer. It's actually, if I look at my clock now, now this is not when the podcast is coming out, but as of Monday the 22nd of November, uh it is summer in nine days and i love summer so much you know my favorite thing to do is cycling i compete in ironman triathlons um two weeks ago i was in an extreme stand-up paddleboard race which was over 18 k's out in the, the ocean in the deep ocean too where halfway through i started thinking about what i'd do if sharks um, attacked the board not a great place to start thinking about um, what I would do when sharks attack the board, mind you. Um, and, yeah, long-distance running. You know, uh, everything that goes along with extreme, I, I just love them. Um, uh, planning to go parachuting next year, jump out of a plane with my good man, Azza. Um, he might not know that yet, but uh, he will when, when it comes time. Um, and over summer, looking to run to the top of Mount Kosciuszko, which happens to be the highest mountain in Australia. Um, so, yeah, good times, summer. I really love it. But, um, you know, the, the whole concept of going that distance, and, and a lot of it I do by myself, is that I give myself a great um, chance to think and adapt and create modify dream um and ask myself what would 10 year old andy want uh and you know i was out on the the long run today thinking you know i, I might write a book um and you know there's lots of books that i've already started so this this my friends will probably be just another one of those that i'll, I'll start writing and then i'll lose interest in it um but I, i'm pretty keen to write 10 naughty things that andy did when i was 10 um so yeah looking at looking at those interesting things like running across railway bridges um that uh, i think i was pretending i was indiana jones actually with uh the creek below thinking it was crocodiles in it um sneaking into farm sheds to find um sailing boats where i thought i was a pirate uh again sneaking into a um a farm shed where there was an old bonnie and clyde car so you can imagine what i did with that um climbing on on tops of um you know roofs of houses because you get a better view you know finding the the tallest tree and trying to find your way up and then you know again probably thinking oh, i was tarzan um and you know finding uh the love for bikes and uh, i do remember 10 year old andy jumped five of my best mates um on my roadster uh so if you've never seen a roadster 
big tall handlebars, big long banana seat. Um, and mine was lucky enough that it had it had three gears. So I would uh, I did this at Moriac Primary School. We had a heap of um, uh, gravel that was just heaped up, and it made a perfect uh, launching pad. Um, and I do remember flying down the concrete past the shelter sheds uh, and into a little drop onto the grass, which we had done so many times it created a little goat track, onto the gravel, and lo and behold, five of my mates were on the other side, which I cleared. What I don't tell people is that wasn't the first time I tried to jump them, so that was the first time I did jump them. Um, the other multiple times, I believe that a few of them might have got hurt. Um, so that that's sort of what I love with the summer. And uh, we talk about this episode being so important, this episode being uh, really epic with what Jace believes in, what I believe in. And um, it's creating that magic and the, that engagement in education the kids don't want to know the mumble jumbo that we go mumbo jumbo that we go out and look at the research and apply that research to you know i look at um, mazano's methods of um, assessment and growth in in children the kids don't care about that stuff but what they do care in is the and sees the engagement side can we create a big enough hook that makes physical education addictive. Um, and if we can create a big enough hook to make them addictive, um, they're stuck with this for years and years and years. And I had a student ask me last week that's in grade six, and our grade six is finished in three weeks, moved to high school. Um, and they, they, oh, she asked me, she said, Mr. Hare, um, am I able to take a clone of you so then we can have Mr. Hare as a physical education teacher everywhere we go? Um, so it shows that the kids are addicted to the story that I'm telling and the magic that I'm creating. I remember, um, Jace, doing a uh, presentation and it was called, um, you know, is your physical education classroom in Disneyland and having the different elements of what I brought into a class um, as the different worlds is in Disneyland. And it was quite out there. I think you can see that on my website, um, mrhairphyzed.com. Shameless plug there, my friend. Um, also look at Tin Can Phys Ed. That's a good website too. Um, but the the underlying, underlying principle of it was trying to create an experience for the kids that was organic and almost couldn't be repeated because it was in the moment and I was present with the um, students that were right in front of me that the experience was tailored just for them um, and them only. The next class would come in, they would have a version of that, but they wouldn't have the exact same lesson. Um, and I love that stuff. And, and that stuff really gets my creative juices flowing. Um, you know, I've written a, a a unit plan for every single unit um, that I've done for 25 years. Um, and the reason for that and the reason I don't repeat it um, and probably the reason that I don't go and buy curriculum plans is that if I invest in something that I'm feeling like I need to get a lot of use out of it, so I'll use it over and over. Whereas if I create it myself, it keeps it organic. And even though, again, on that uh, com, there's the second shameless plug of the, uh, the last couple of minutes, uh, you'll see that the lessons I have up there are guides, um, but next year they'll probably change. Um, and that's just the way I roll. Jace, how are we going to do this, buddy? Let's build a game. Let's build an activity. So I'm going to throw you one tennis ball, friend. Our unit we're looking at is grade five, six, uh, throwing and catching. What are we bringing in, my friend? And how are we going to start this amazing construction of a unit of work just with one tennis ball? You know, to be completely honest, I would 100% buy that book of the 10, th 10 naughty things that 10-year-old Abby did, I would also probably help and write an appendix saying, followed up by the Canadian version, the 10 naughty things that Jace Ferguson has done. Uh, it, it's always interesting. Like we, We've only known each other in our adult lives and most recently within our professional uh, learning community circles. 
but just like the stories you see talk about and your point of view, it just really reflects a lot of the things that I value. And even hearing some of the stories from when you were a kid really reflects some of my childhood and just kind of cool how as big as this world is, you can find people who are from the same walks of life on complete opposite sides of the world. I think it's just amazing. It's one of the, one of the reasons why I love professional development going to conferences and networking because you get to meet all these cool people with all these cool stories and a lot of the stories are quite similar to yours you're not alone out there i think that's sometimes need to be reminded that we're not in this alone all right now let's take a look at this game and being that you picked grade five six like first off my my teaching experience has been mostly with the high school so grade seven eight nine 10, 11, 12, so the higher age ranges, but that's okay. My master's degree was in physical education development throughout the lifespan, looking at elite development pathways. So I might know a thing or two about maybe planning and getting things ready to have successful units in the grades fives and sixes. All right, so I have this tennis ball. Now, I love that you picked a tennis ball. If I just make up a random game, first thing I look for is a ball. Now you can do so many different things with the ball, but let's actually narrow our scope what do we want the kids to walk away with? Now, do we want them to be developing some sort of skill? Do we want them to be developing some sort of attitude? Maybe an understanding, maybe a, a cognitive development of a techniques and strategies. Now, what are we gonna be doing with this ball and the ultimate goal? So I'm actually gonna pick two areas. We're gonna be working on the students actually moving to receive a ball. So the primary goal is, is to be, students need to move to receive a ball effectively. What does that look like? They need to get their bodies behind the ball. That means they have to move their feet and get into position. They have to be able to read the ball. We kind of predict where the ball is going to go based on <clears throat> its flight pattern. They need to be able to move to those spots. But then they also need to be able to maybe modify it. So maybe they need to reach outside their body to catch it, reach above their body to catch it. We need to modify that as well. So we kind of have like our benchmark, but then also our, our kind of our higher flyers can also hit some sort of benchmark but they can see some success and some focus as well. Now, the other part of that is let's look at the cognitive piece of it. Now, I don't wanna just think about tactics. I'm gonna actually develop teamwork and community. So in this game, not only are we gonna be looking at, uh, at the, the fundamentals of like moving to the ball, catching the ball, but let's look at the, like, the fundamentals of teamwork and communication. Maybe those are the things you're gonna look at to develop as well. Now, using that ball, looking at those two things in mind, the catching and the teamwork communication side of it. Let's add another thing in there. So let's progressively build this. Now, I'm gonna be using an area of an entire soccer field. Why do I want an entire soccer field? It can maximize engagement. Um, I can have a class of 40, and if I have one tennis ball, but I have the size of a soccer field, I can do anything. So we have this, this tennis ball, we have this soccer field, what are we going to do next, Andy? What are the next steps with our game? We have our ball. We have our soccer field. Go to you, good buddy. All right. Boom, boom. Here we go. Or it depends where you are in the world. It might be pronounced boom, boom. Um, here we go, my friends. So one ball, 40 people in our class, and a soccer field. So we're going to start with this as a energizer teamwork so before you actually spell out um the rules for the students in, in the game or the expectations because you know i don't, don't really like the word rules but the expectations of level one you're going to ask the students to run and spread wherever they can across that field and to you yell stop so their job might be, for instance, taking this energizer to touch uh, two sidelines and a goal line. Um, and then you might change it. You might go, okay, let's touch the goalie's box and the center line. Uh, then you might change it again and we'll go, let's touch the center circle and sideline and the goalie's box. And then Go find a spot by yourself. So then you'll yell stop when you reckon you've got enough spread in that field. Yell stop. Now, with the ball, you're going to take the ball down and give that ball to the closest 
to the closest person uh, to one of the goalie lines. Um, and whoever starts with the ball in level one, they'll need to run with the ball and then grab the next person that's closest to them. It's almost like a chain task. So with that one ball, run to the nearest person, link arms with them, and those two people will then run to the next person to pick a third person, which in turn will grab a fourth, which in turn will grab a fifth, which in turn will grab a sixth, right through until they've cleaned everybody up at the 40th person. Um, now, the 40th, 40th person obviously is going to be waiting all that time, but they're going to see how effective that teamwork is and the choices. Does that person go to their friends first? Does that person go to the closest person first? Who links arm with, arms with who? And, you know, in the world, I guess, today, we're looking at sometimes uh, choice is eliminated through, um, well, I use this with my son all the time, the need versus want. Um, you know, I might want to be with this person, but I need to be with this person because I am closer. Uh, once they've linked up, they've got to the other end, you know, explain how that teamwork worked, uh, how to explain the choices they made, the different routes they could have taken, um, and then give the ball to the person that was chosen last, uh, you know, along that field and get them to repeat that a second time. So then they've used that feedback you've given them and tried to better their experience. So that's level one. Level two, still one ball, still a soccer field. This time, what you're going to do is you're going to get them to throw to the nearest person. So again, you're going to ask them to uh, spread, find their own space. Um, And then person number one, which is the person close to the uh, goal is is going to throw the ball to the next nearest person. Um, Now, in this one, you could twist it a bit because you want to say, okay, I want you to throw it to somebody um, that you know you can make that distance and they're going to be able to make the catch. Um, And allow them to to fail on this one. Um, Allow them to succeed on this one without too much input interference with adding a rule in. Uh, So this time they go up the field, throw and catch, throw and catch, throw and catch. Um, And, you know, I don't really like having a penalty that if a ball hits the ground, you got to go back to the start because then it puts a lot of pressure on that one person. All it will do is just slow the process down. Um, Once they get to person number 40, they can all celebrate together. Yes, we did it. We did it. And then you give them the, the positives and negatives, and you bring in the idea that sometimes uh, the person with the ball might not be a great thrower, but we have teammates that can then jump in between to um, create a link. So that means that that person doesn't need to throw as far, or you might have someone that can't catch super duper well. Um, and so you bring in a link to make sure that that person has a positive experience and that the ball thrown to them is not necessarily an extremely hard throw, which you know, creates a really hard catching opportunity, but it's a comfortable one into their um, success wheel. Um, so then they come back, they do that again. You might then add in three balls. So that is... Uh, the next addition. So we've gone from one ball, 40 people, soccer field, to now another three balls. So we're up to four balls on a soccer field with 40 people. Jace, the service is now over to you. Where do we go with that? All right, my good friend. Now, before I put in my idea, uh, I'd like to address the fact that you threw an energizer. Now, energizers are often such a critical piece of learning that we often overlook. Sometimes we're rushed, sometimes it just slips our mind, but the power of the energizer is so huge. It is a great way to just not only make sure the students start bodies are ready for movement, it's also a great way to check the prior knowledge and learning. Maybe we're doing this in the universe, looking at our, our catching and receiving. 
maybe it's a great way for us to review what we learned last class and make that connection to prior learning. It's also a good way to kind of set the frame for the game. Now, in your energizer, you're using the sidelines and lines in the soccer field. Now, we could be purposely or unpurposely. Right now, we're just organically kind of spitballing with this game. But that could have been a great way to introduce our boundaries for the gameplay, especially when we're dealing with elementary level students. This might be some of their first interactions to structure sport experiences. So it's really great to kind of set the stage and set the parameters of the game. I love it that you put it in there. You are one of the biggest people, one of the largest advocates for energizers. I do make a class. Uh, there's great, great ways resources out there. It's just such a critical, critical part of the lesson. Now, let's actually start building this game. So we have our 40 students. We have our soccer pitch with lines. We have now three tennis balls. So looking back at our goal of let's work on receiving the ball. So we're looking at the line and catching. We're also looking at the teamwork aspect. So the next level of this game is I'm actually going to cut the field in half. Have all 40 students on this one field in half. And like you said, give them some time to spread out. Blow the whistle, have them find some area. But I would only have three people standing in the goal box. Now, what would I do there? Ultimately, for this little mini game, this little small sided game, all the students have to get the three tennis balls from the center line. So the tennis ball can be placed on the center line. They have to get those three tennis balls into the goal box. But here's the critical thing the tennis balls cannot touch the ground. If they touch the ground, they go back to the center line and we have to play again. Now, this introduces an element of failure and struggle. Now, failure and struggle are critical for learning. It is a great way for students to kind of engage that, that critical thinking aspect. But especially with this type of game, we're looking at building some communication skills as well. Three tennis balls, 40 students. We have a lot of communication that has to happen for that ball to get into the goal zone. If the ball drops, it goes all the way back to the center. And that's going to have the students kind of experience and experiment. And that's really the whole purpose of this. And all I would do is on the whistle, they start throwing the balls. They hit the ground, they go back, they get in the goal box, the ball is done effectively. Now let the students experiment. Let the students struggle. They will find ways. They'll be creative. And you'll be quite amazed at the creative ways that students will think of to solve a problem. Maybe they need to talk about a different communication style. Maybe they'll come up with certain things that we would initially be teaching them and looking towards teaching them. They might come up with that stuff on their own. So let the students design, let the students experiment, let the students fail. Simple little modification, half the soccer field, three balls on the line, three receivers in the field, and the ball cannot touch the ground. It goes back to the center line. And the students try to do this as fast as they can by throwing and catching the tennis ball. There's the modification kind of build number three. After we've looked into your first two build number three, there we go. Made into like a little mini game. The serve is back to you, good friend. Ah, very well played, young man. Very well played. It does appear that you were. In the weight room, I reckon, doing a, a session or observing a session at the same time. All right, so here we are. So we've got three balls midline working as fast as we can to move that ball down to the goal line to get it into uh, the hands of their own players. So I'm going to put a sub-level into this one. And what we're going to do is we're going to split that large group down into four groups. Um, so inside the four groups, we'll have 10 in each. Um, so three will be in the goal line and seven, obviously, moving that ball around. Um, and so with that, that seven, obviously, there's a need for greater teamwork there. Um, but we're only going to play with two teams on at once because we want the others to critically analyse uh, grab feedback from the game that's playing and then use that feedback to give them themselves a greater purpose 
into being able to maximise their opportunity in their game. So um, that peer feedback is really critical um, as one. So what they're going to be able to do is then feed to a player. So let's think about um, our senior students and they can have a nominated player that they've got who gives some, some sort of feedback to. Um, so when the game has come to an end, it might be five minutes, they walk over to that player, they give them some, um, say, three positives and three negatives uh, about what they observed. And then that player that was on comes off and the new two teams come, come on. Um, and we keep doing this cycle uh, over and over. So what uh, our students are doing is they're learning through seeing um, and then learning through doing. Um, and at the same time, being able to look for positives that are in the game. So they're, they're big aha moments that they, they really love, but then also look for negatives that they see, things that they think someone can improve on um, that is subjective to their mind. So it's giving them a, an opportunity to understand that whole game a little bit better. So there's my sub-level for you, Jace. All right, let's keep building. I'm liking this game. I'm liking it very much. I really like that you threw in the idea of like the peer teaching and the peer coaches. I call them peer coaches, mini coaches, mini teachers. I absolutely love that concept because now you've actually changed your classroom from having only one teacher, one source of feedback to a room that is full of feedback. Children, adults, anybody who's learning thrives off feedback. And the more quality feedback they get, the more they improve. But that's also the trick is establishing that quality piece. The one nice thing about this game is we've actually developed it from a very low level, simple, something that's based on just some fundamental movements and it's progressively getting more and more complex. The more complex it gets, the more chances students have to show their mastery over those fundamental skills. Now with that peer coaching piece, that coaching, and I often do this with my students, I have them structure their feedback around key teaching points. I give them the key teaching points. Now, go out there and find some evidence. A lot of my students use video replay, so I have them take a video of their partner playing the game, performing the game. I'll say, okay, here, if we're looking at this game in particular, maybe try to look at how they're communicating with other people in their team. How are they also moving for the ball? Are they trying to catch the ball along the midline? Or are they still trying to reach out and make those all-star catches, which never work 90% of the time? Or are they not having any progress? And what could you tell them? What sort of feedback can you give them to help them grow and improve? Now, we have our game where we have those two different shifts. So let's actually bring this complexity forward even a little bit more. And I'm going to actually introduce the corner flags from soccer. Now, soccer, football, whatever you want to call it, no matter where you're in the world, they are the giant flags. They're probably about six feet tall, made out of just a piece of pipe and a little flag at the top. Now, those aren't going to be used for our, for our boundaries. We're going to use those for actual goals. Now, we're going to set up, and, I, and I'm going to call them gates because they're not going to be at the end line. They're going to be probably about one quarter of the way into the field off both the end lines. Now, students can score on these gates through either way. So you're adding a degree of complexity to this game where it's not just pretty, it's not just linear where we're just attacking the front of the net. Kind of like soccer is linear where it has the net and that's it. You have to look at defending and even attacking both sides of the net. So we're going to have team A's net on one side, team B's net on the other side. We're actually going to just take it down to um, just one tennis ball. And when you have the tennis ball, you can't move. You have to throw the tennis ball to pass it to your friends. If you drop the tennis ball, it's given to the other team. And we kind of proceed like that. So if you get the ball through the gate, now you can just throw the ball through the gates. It has to go between the top of the flag and the bottom of the flag. If you throw the ball through the gate, you can score a point. So I didn't even let this go on for, for about five minutes. After every goal, the team that just was scored on, gets possession in the way they can play. So team A has one net on one side, team B has one net on the other side, and they have to attack the other team's net, trying to throw the ball through the gate in hopes to score. 
we play those for five minutes. We still have our other teammates on the sideline giving us some tactical feedback. Are we looking for open areas? Were we making our passes? We still have that peer feedback from our friends who are on the sidelines waiting for our shift to end. But ultimately, we're trying to throw that ball to a, to a, a partner, a teammate, progress it forward in play, and trying to throw it through the gate to score. So there, we're now taking this into more of a kind of a sports goal-based game. Now, I'm really interested to see what you're going to be doing to progress from here. I have an idea, but I want to see if I'm predicting Mr. Andy Hare correctly. Andy, take it away. What is our next build in this game that's kind of evolving to this grand, giant, fun game I'm kind of imagining in my head? All right, Jace, challenge accepted. I really like where we're taking this. And already I've got a idea in my mind. It's starting to resemble lacrosse. Um, which is fantastic because now we can pinpoint the game to some more provocation and share where that game could end and maybe give the kids a, a few clues about you know what might be coming up based on what we're selecting and, and everything like that. Um, so my additions to this game are as this. So currently we've got a, a game with one tennis ball, two teams, um, and by the way, we're, what we've done is we haven't split them into 20 v 20. We've split them into about 8 v 8 um, on a sideways soccer field. So there is room for a hell of a lot of error, but there's also room to move to space and to create space. So you don't have this clumping that happens. Um, you know, in our primary schools, we have clumping that happens a lot uh, with that. But at the same time, what we're presuming is that your, the students that we're um, uh, working with here to develop this game have also been in yours and my class. So they've had quite a few years of development. They know where they're going. Um, so we've got the two teams. We've got one tennis ball. We've got the goal, which is is in on the ground. So we've got a, um, a 360 element to that goal. Um, and my first rule is we're going to create a rule change and then we're going to create an equipment change. So the first rule change that we're um, doing is we are creating a 10-metre circle um, around the goals, So, which means that only a goalie can be inside that goal. We're still going to allow the 360 scoring, so that goalie needs to track the ball and keep themselves um, in between the person with the ball and the goal. That is the, that's the goal of the goalie. Um, what we're also doing is asking students to score from outside of that 10-metre um, uh, perimeter. So it's allowing students to uh, think about their throw and how they can work it around without the goalie themselves being under the pump and being clouded by defenders. Um, so that's my first rule change with this. The second is equipment change. So... I'm going to turn this game now a little bit on its head. We're going to swap the tennis ball and we're going to change it for a rugby ball. So the rugby ball itself is allowed to be thrown as a spiral. So we're in the USA, for instance, sakes, um, and where physical literacy journey includes attachments to um, American football, then this is, this is great. Um, we're also looking at our islander areas in the Pacific, New Zealand, Australia, um, and you know, rugby Hong Kong. Those, those types of areas there that play rugby um, can get used to passing the ball uh, forwards, sideways or backwards. Um, now, in rugby, you're only allowed to pass backwards to move forwards, but we're not going to bring that in just yet. Um, because Jace has got to pick the next uh, next little change there. But the ball can be thrown in either direction. But because it's a larger ball, um, it's going to move a little bit differently. So we're changing the uh, experience of the, the students and changing the skill that is required of them to be able to be effective in this game. No longer can they throw this ball 20, 30, 40 metres 
they're looking for short, sharp little passes to be able to move the ball from one space to another. So this 8v8 team now has a 10-metre uh, perimeter around the goals that only the goalie is allowed in. And the ball itself is a rugby-style ball um, that is still only allowed to be thrown. All right, Jace, how is this game developing in your head? I know exactly where I'm going, but I'm really eager to find out your twist that is going to create the next level of change in our lesson. I'm loving this, by the way. I 100% called it that you're going to introduce like a rugby ball, a rugby type of element modification to this game. For those of you who are listening, do you think that Andy and I would be talking about this this conversation? This is actually just completely organic. Uh, Added distance would probably provide to this. There's no real plan. We just had the central idea, and then we just said, let's just run with it. Now, as I'm sitting there going, I bet you Andy's going to throw into a rugby element or American or Australian rules football element. It's because that's Andy. Andy loves those types of sports, and he's right. It offers so much connection to our students who are out there internationally, but also gives our students who maybe are used to the traditional American football concept, something new, something to take them out of that element and put everybody back in the beginning learner seat. All right. Okay, we have our, our rugby ball. We have our two goals at the end. We have the 10 foot circle and we have a goalie in between. Now, if you've never heard of this game before, this is actually sounding really familiar to a game called Speedgate. Now, to give a little background towards it, a bunch of researchers put in a bunch of parameters for all these different sports, gave it to artificial intelligence, and it created a brand new sport called Speedgate. And one of the things of Speedgate is in the middle of the playing field, they actually have what they call an activation gate. Now, before a team can score, they have to pass the ball through this activation gate. And I've played this with my class a bunch of times. I even introduced it at a, at a phase session back in 2019. And it's a really cool concept because instead of just running and gunning down the sidelines or down the field to the goal trying to score, you have to, one, get your team situated so you can pass the ball through the center gate, retain control and keep control, and then try to score. It really adds just another level of kind of complexity and a lot of that different level of communication and team within the class. I love that modification. I've used it in just regular games, even within basketball. I've done a basketball game putting in, you have to pass through the center circle. It added a bunch of different dimensions to this game. And I got to really watch our students grow and learn. So that's been my modification to this game is before a team can score, they have to pass the ball through the gate, through the center. Now, the center gate could be a 360-wide gate. Nobody can actually step inside the circle gate. Let's make it a 10-foot circle. The ball has to travel through the circle. They can't just travel through the tip. It has to travel through the long way through the circle, be received by the same team member, and then a team can pass. If a team loses possession before they score, they still keep the ability to score, but they cannot score in that net until that pass has been made through the center gate. It really adds another level of complexity and tactile thinking. And this is where we're working on communication. Our teams have to be all on board. Have we gone through the gate? Have we, have we activated the center gate yet? Yes, okay, we can score. No, we still need to develop our strategy to score. There's my modification, keeping us our rugby ball, keeping us our D8 versus 8 keeping us in that soccer pitch with our goals kind of inside the ground, so that's 360 element. Now we just have to pass the ball through the center gate before we can score as a team. Your turn, big guy. Activation gates. Let's back up for a second here. And am I that predictable that you knew before you even, uh, before I even answered it, that you, that I was going to bring in a rugby ball? Um, that predictable. Oh, well, I'll have to try and change things up a bit. See if you can predict this one, my my great man. So what uh, 
we've got the activation gates, which I love because we can place those activation gates anywhere we see a deficit happening in the field. Um, I know with my students at the moment, they're tending to work the sides, um, which is fantastic, but they're leaving themselves exposed because the opposition just have to push them one or two more metres to the side the ball's out of bounds and then the opposition pick up the ball straight away. So what we're trying to get them to do is stay in that centre corridor for as long as they possibly can and control that centre corridor because if they can control the centre corridor, they can move that ball much more direct uh, towards their goal to score um, rather than being pushed to the side and then the opposition just you have to keep that pressure on and they'll pick up that um, uh, that turnover. So well, the thing that I'm going to change, I'm going to change two things here. Um, the first one is that we are going to put a net on the goal. Um, so all of a sudden this, this goal can only be scored uh, from the front and and well yeah from the front and above so we're we're not scoring from behind the goal anymore we're scoring from in front of the goal but we're still being able to move that ball around the back of the goal for for the next reason um we're also going to add in a kick so what we're um what we're challenging the kids to do here is is this Knowing that maintaining possession of the ball is 100% successful. So let, let's face it, in invasion games, if you, if your team does not lose control of the ball, the opposition team cannot win the game. Um, they cannot win the game. So that is a, a big statement I always make to the kids in class, that just hang on to the ball. If you don't lose the ball, the other team cannot win the game. And and slowly they get it. They they seem a bit puzzled to start with. Um, but, uh, yeah, they, they get that concept. Um, so what I wanted to to bring in is, is the element of the kick. So the kick is a risky um, possession that you're going to have. And the kick's purpose is not so much to pass it to a teammate, but when you've got a chance, you can kick it over the the net and through the uprights. So we're, we're more or less extending the soccer sideline flags to a double height, which is going to represent almost like a rugby goal. Um, the net is going to still be on there, but it's going to be halfway up. So if you've ever seen um, Gaelic football, Gaelic football have a soccer net um, situated on the goals, but then they have the football goals sitting above that, uh, which is allowing a dual purpose for scoring. So the kicks element is purely there to try to score a goal. Now, if you score a goal, it's only worth one point. That is over the upright, uh, or sorry, through the upright. Um, if you score into the net, it's worth six points. So what we're trying to encourage the kids there to do is hold possession for as long as you can to score into the net. But if you wanted to, you can take a risky shot to score one point. But if you miss, the opposition team most likely are going to pick that ball up and then have possession of the ball. Um, And that's why we've left the area behind that um, 10-foot goal circle open because the opposition team, if they see the, um, the team in possession of the ball ready to kick, uh, the opposition team can run behind and actually mark that ball and off they go to, um, through to the other end. Um, so those, those modifications there, again, change the um, dimensions of the game and it changes, changes the dynamics of the game as well. Um, it starts to think about key plays. Uh, it also starts to think about um, key people that might have a skill asset. Uh, we, we think about American football and a punter has a skill asset. So that person's um, whole and sole job 
is to take a ball and kick it through the, the uprights. Um, if they do so, they'll score some points for that. The punter will then go off and sit for another 30 minutes on the bench. So in this game, that person will actually still be a player on the field, but when it's time and they, they want to try and score that goal, um, then they can pass it to this person while they're in the right spot. So it starts to add a third dimension, fourth dimension to the game, which adds um, key plays to think about. Uh, we're also staying on the same size field, small side, small-sided games with small side. Well, sorry, tongue twister there. Uh, with a limited number of players uh, on each team, and now we're starting to build score. All right, Jace. Let's see where you are at with that one. I think we're almost there, uh, but I still believe there might be a couple more changes we can make. Now, Andy, I wouldn't say that you're predictable. I would just say that you and I share some of what are the common process of thinking. Um, As scattered and as hectic as it might seem to others, it works for us. And that's where I could, I, I kind of figure, like, I know where Andy's going to go with this. I kind of have an idea with this. But I'm going to throw a wrench into the system here. Now, I almost think that this game is actually really good where it's at. I do agree that there are some, some changes we could make to it. Now, <clears throat> those changes could be based upon what you would like to develop as the teacher within that lesson. Maybe you want to take out the rugby ball. Maybe you want to ter- turn it into a handball type game. Maybe you want to work on different manipulative skills. Maybe you want to throw in a hurling bat. If you don't know what hurling is, everyone, definitely take a look at it. It is probably one of the, the coolest sports I've ever seen. I think it's right out of Ireland. But I really like the concept of this game because, one, there's a clear direction. We obviously have our goals set up. But it's not just about running and gunning as fast as they can go there's a lot of different elements in it that, that makes the athletes and the students think about what they're doing and rely on other people. Uh, you could always add in, like, they can only take so many steps with the ball before they have to pass it. But I think the, the premise of the game is actually really good where it's at. We have an established system of scoring. We have a set, an established boundary. We have established protocol. We, have, we might have just invented a brand new sport. Maybe we can call this Burgandy Ball maybe something else i'm not sure but the little modifications that can be added to this game are all going to be unique to those those teachers to the students needs wherever you're at now the one thing i absolutely loved about this this little little experiment is that all the modifications that we put in you don't even have to buy equipment for when we talked about making the uprights kind of like the gaelic football uprights find some sticks Wrap them together. This kind of ties into the one podcast we did about PE on a $100 budget. You can play this, this type of game anywhere. You just need to have an open field, have some ingenuity, have some creativity, and find the will to want to make these things. And that's what I really like about, I'm going to call it for a gandy ball for now. Um, because you can play this anywhere with any type of equipment. You could even, like worst case scenario, use a rock. Granted, you have to use some safety considerations with our students. But it could be any ball, anywhere, anytime, quick setup, easy to follow directions. I really in love with this game because it can have so many different applications. I think I might need to sit down and actually write out this game so we could actually have a game template, name it for Dandy Ball, and away we go. Andy, what are your thoughts on almost the birth of for Dandy Ball? I definitely love it and just listening to you talk straight away I'm thinking physical literacy the component that connects the student to the community adapts the game and place it within uh, the context of your community hurling what an amazing aggressive game but it fits perfectly into this model. You look at the, the ancient sport um, of lacrosse and the not the lacrosse we know it, but the more of the warlike lacrosse. It fits into this model. You have a look at our Australian version of netball. The goals are just replaced with the uh, netball rings. Uh, 
fits exactly into this model. Um, and what I love, just the probably the thing that I love the most is that we grew this game from stage one, uh, just with the tennis ball and 40 kids. What we looked at there, and we, and honestly, guys out there, let's just call you the team. Jason and I didn't talk about or plan on paper any of this. It was literally, let's leave a message, and then across the week, the other person would pick it up and run with their next idea. And the way that we both think, and you're spot on, is that we both think very similarly, is that we're hearing the other person talk and straight away we're realising what's next in the equation. And you, as the champion phys ed teachers, the coaches, the sports coaches out there in your school, you are doing this exact thing. I mean, that is how sport evolved. We, I look at the, uh, the Indigenous games over here of our First Nation people and I look at the adaptations we can make within those games to get to the base level, level of where I want kids to be right now. That's what we do best as educators. We apply, we redesign, um, and we build on. We look for what is the next challenge in the game. So this is where we're at. We have a brand new game that we have just put out. And I just had a look on the Voxer. Um, Jason and I use Voxer to create these podcasts. And Jace has actually developed the game into a lesson plan. So we're going to post that alongside this podcast. And we really hope that you've enjoyed this amazing episode um, of the catch-up with Jason Andy, where we've showed you how we build a game organically from the base level to where it can be such a competitive environment and you can take it to answer that physical literacy um, ideal uh, for your community setting. So from Jason and I, that's the catch-up with Jason Andy. See you next time. Catch!